Hello, all, and welcome to the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kubal. Today, I have with me a very special guest, Matthew Harfey. Matthew, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime. I, I love when I can get historical fiction people on here. There's there's not many times. I had Scott Oden and a couple others on. So like I said, before we get started, my audience knows I teach history. I love it. It's one of my passions. So I love talking to people about their writing when it comes to historical fiction. So very, very excited to have you on today. I thought you made a mistake when you invited me. I thought, I don't write fantasy. <laughs> What's going on? Well, you know, when I first started this, I thought, you know, they... I just feel like there's so much that, you know, so many of the roots from fantasy, you know, come from historical fiction. Uh, and, I, you know, that's where I started, you know, in terms of reading was historical fiction. And, you know, I, my friend's like, oh, try this. I'm like, no, that's not for me. And then I, you know, got into sci-fi and uh, he's like, well, you like Star Wars. He's like, Star Wars is basically, you know, fantasy and sci-fi. And, you know, I love the history of Star Wars. Like that was a big thing. So I said, okay, I'll try it. So I tried, um, oh, Knight's Word um the hobbit um you know the the ghosts in the tea house uh you know quite a few and i really you know enjoyed them but the ones i had read were more historical fiction based than i'd say it's like light fantasy um you know so i was like oh that that might be a good idea you know i think a lot of people i talked to you know have said the same thing you know you still got the swords and you know you mm -hmm. got the, the yeah, lifestyles yeah. and you know the time periods and i think it's fun too that people take a look at what you guys are writing historical fiction and think okay you know um, now like Gaslight, you know, Gaslight Fantasy in particular, you know, people are picking different, you know, time eras and things like that, um, you know, to base their fantasy off. So for me, I still think that those roots are important to go back and look. And like I said, I, I love history. So <laughs> I think I think it's I think it's interesting that you said that you started off with historical fiction and then sort of moved over to fantasy. I think I probably went the other way. So oh, as wow. a teenager, I used to read, well, I used to, I still play Dungeons and Dragons and I used oh, to be yeah. a massive fantasy role-playing game um, fan and nerd played, you know, all sorts of games and used to, you know, like the Star Wars, but also read, you know, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and Conan and all of those oh, sort of oh, things. So oh, I was a massive <laughs> fan of, of, you know, fantasy and sword and sorcery and, um, and then ended up writing basically sword and sorcery, but without the sorcery and without the dragons, you know, so it's like Dungeons and Dragons, but without the monsters. Yeah, yeah, human monsters instead. Yeah, well, it is interesting. I, you know, I was talking to Scott Odin about this, and you know, we were we were discussing you know the historical fiction roots and things like that for sword and sorcery, and you know, he did make a really good point where, you know, we were talking about historical fiction, and you know, it is fun with fantasy because it does add a whole another element, but it also I think is fun as a writer to just do historical fiction because then you know you don't have magic to rely on. You know, you really just have you know, the, the people that are involved and, you know, their ingenuity, their know-how, their skills. And I think, um, you know, like, obviously like Utrecht Bedenberg is one of my favorite characters of all time. I think they did an amazing job, you know, um, capturing his character in Netflix TV show. Uh, but the books too, that I think, you know, Bernard Cornwall does a really good job of showing just the human condition, you know, and just that, you know, there are, were very desperate times and we still are, you know, in very desperate times, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in a lot of the senses. And I think that human interaction piece, you know, sometimes it does help in fantasy, you know, coming from a historical context, but at times I do think, you know, some things are lost. So that's why I still like to go back to just historical fiction. So yeah, it ends up being really cool when you just go back and just, just read historical fiction. But uh, for that first question there, what has your writing journey been like up until this point? 
Well, interesting, you should ask, and a segue, good segue there, I can actually mention um, Uhtred of Bebenberg and um, oh, cool. and Bernard Cornwell. So, I mean, I often, my books, so I've, I've written the, the most of my books, I've um, a, a, a series called The Benicia Chronicles, and um, I actually started writing the first one, which is The Serpent Sword, back in 2001, Oh, after wow. seeing a documentary um, about some uh, burials, um, some bones that are being dug up just to the south of Bamburgh Castle. And when I say just to the south, I mean within within sight of the walls of Bamburgh Castle. Oh, wow. um, and they dated back from like the 7th and 8th century. Um, and this documentary talked about how Bebenberg was the... So Bamburgh Castle is Bebenberg, okay? So just to put that in context. And um, I'd lived up near Bamburgh Castle as a, as a kid for a few years and I saw this documentary and they talked about how Bamburgh or Bebenberg had been the centre of the uh, of, of the kingdom of Benicia and then later Northumbria and how Northumbria was really important back in in the early medieval period and I didn't really know anything about that history but I did recognise the place and I was really interested in the place and as I said I had this affinity to sword and sorcery and the whole sort of idea of these Anglo-Saxons there and the swords and you know I don't know just the, the long ships and the, the, the people at the time and the rugged coastline it all sort of conjured up something in my in my memory and my in my psyche and I just decided to start writing I wrote what what turned out to be the beginning of the first chapter of the serpent sword the mm. same night that I saw this documentary oh, wow. and now the link to Bernard Cornwell is I'd read Bernard Cornwell before I was a big fan of Bernard Cornwell Wells. And I think one of the things that spurred me onto writing as well was reading his Arthur series. So oh, he yeah. wrote the, the trilogy, I think it was called the Warlord Chronicles. Yeah. Um, and it's a, a trilogy based on the, the stories of King Arthur, but very much based in sort of a real Dark Ages, early medieval period. And he wrote those in the late 90s. So I started writing my books very much in that sort of style, I guess. Um, and then a few years later, so like three, maybe three years later, I'm, I'm still plodding away I've got a full-time job and a young family and trying to write I had no idea how to how to go about writing a novel little let alone a, a historical one when I didn't really know any of the history so I started buying you know some of the books that you can see on the shelf behind me they're all all these are non-fiction you know history books and um, I started buying these books and reading up and researching and writing anyway one day Bernard Cornwell brings out a new book called The Last Kingdom um, in 2004 and I thought okay this sounds good but I, I bought it and started reading it and starts off in Bebenberg my book starts in Bebenberg and uh, it's oh, a young yeah. warrior my book is a young warrior starting in Bebenberg and I'm th I, I, it was a, my book set a couple of hundred years earlier it's, it starts in 633 oh, um, cool. the, the serpent sword and so it's before the Vikings so it is different but there was enough similarity to it that I felt incredibly deflated and I think this has happened to many many um, writers that you start writing something and then somebody comes along and you see it in movies as well right a, a movie comes out I remember in the 90s I was massively into I, I've always been to westerns and stuff and um, the, the Wyatt Earp came out the the Kevin Costner movie uh, and yeah. um, Tombstone came out like the same year you yep, know so you yep. see two movies about Wyatt Earp the same time I think Robin Hood Prince of Thieves came out and there was like another Robin Hood movie came out at the same time so it seems to happen a lot in in different cultural um, areas. I don't really know why, but this seemed to happen to me. And I felt like, oh my God, I can't, I can't write now. This guy's a huge <laughs> monster in the, in the industry. So I really gave up writing for, for years and I didn't pick it up until 2012, 2013, something like that. And um, I, then with the, with the advent of self-publishing, I decided, look, I need to finish this, this story. Even if I self-publish it, you know, before when I started writing, self-publishing didn't really exist. 
So then with the advent of Kindle, I thought, okay, I can self-publish. I can get this out there. So then I went through the, the motions, got an agent, finished the book, got an agent, um, tried to, to, to sell it, failed to sell it to all the major publishers in the UK. I'd written the sequel by that point as well, The Cross and the Curse, which is the, the second book in the series. Uh, my agent basically said, well, we've not managed to sell it anywhere. So throw those books away and, you know, off you go, write something else. Because that's how agents think. They just think, well, I've tried to sell it, didn't sell it. And I was like, hang on a minute. What? I'm not doing that. I was still right, working full time, but um, I thought there's no way I'm throwing away these books. I worked in technical writing um, mm. at the time. So I was writing manuals for, for like IT um, for a software company. So I had the skills to, to, to create a, you know, the PDFs and to stick things up in, in the right formats that I needed to do the covers and all that. So I did everything myself and I self-published the Serpent Sword and then I self-published the, um, the the Cross and the Curse, and I, I you know, I, I I got someone to come along in authentic gear, a reenactor, um, amateur cool. historian called Matt Bunker, came in all authentic sort of seventh-century gear, and a friend of mine, um, I'll name-check him as well, so Stephen Weatherly, a friend of mine from work, keen photographer, he took the photos for the for the cover, and um, and I and I did the covers and I put those books out there, and they sold really well i got i got endorsements from writers that i asked and i sold a few thousand copies and suddenly you know once you sell a few thousand copies and it looks you get a hundred reviews on amazon then the publisher's a bit more interested so in the end i then traditionally published those first two books i took them off the market and then sell and traditionally published them um and you know the rest is history as as they say and so yeah they i've been traditionally published ever since but with that sort of rooting in, um, you know, in self-publishing originally. And, and that's kind of my journey into, into publishing, but sort of just sort of go back to the Bernard Cornwall thing and finish off that sort of little thing. Um, you know, my series has gone on and obviously his series has gone on from strength to strength. And then there's the TV series and done fantastically well. But I realized very quickly that although a few people would say, oh, it's not as good as Bernard Cornwell's books, you know, most people, they just want to read more of, of it's like, you know, you read, you read Tolkien. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy GRR Martin just because you enjoyed Tolkien, even though they're both fantasy novels. Right. I mean, it's the same. You, people want to read books about um, with exciting characters and interesting stories based on historical events um, in the time of the Anglo-Saxons or the Vikings. They don't, they don't preclude, you know, someone else writing in the same area. If you read a, a James Bond book, it doesn't mean you can't read other spy books. You know, it's the same yeah. kind of thing. And and I and I feel like I've been accepted into the into the community. I'm a member of the Bernard Cornwell fan club, and got invited to talk at one of their events a oh. couple of years ago. And everybody was lovely, and they loved they loved my books. And obviously, they love Bernard Cornwell's more. Well, great, more power to Bernard. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's great. I I see it as you know if if Bernard Cornwell's got a great following. And uh, you know other, other writers too. Then so you know so have I. Great, we can we can't write as many books as yeah. people can read. So, yeah, yeah. So that's no, it's, it. so, it's so true. <laughs> well, that's like you know, like I mean, you know, he does have quite a few books, but still, you know, I mean, most people that I know, you know, they average you know at least you know forty a year. You know, yeah. so you know, it's like it's like all right, Salvatore. You know, like I loved him and I had to branch out after a while. I was all caught up and. I was glad after a while he went back and started writing, you know, again. And I, I had to take a break because I was like, I'm going to be done with this character. Yeah. That, you know, read my whole life. So I, that's where I really discovered like, oh, I like a lot of these other people too in fantasy. So, Brand, you know, Brandon Sanderson writes a lot, but even he's not that fast compared to, well, you know, I mean, most, 
most writers the most they write is a couple of novels a year and that's that's a fast that's a fast novelist you know often it's one one a year or even one every 18 months or two years so you know readers are gonna are gonna be reading as you say like one every couple of weeks or something or or even faster than that so you know your reader's gonna want to read a lot more than one book every two years so (laughs) so they're gonna be happy to to read different different authors especially now with audible too like i was asking one of my buddies who's a reviewer i was like how do you read so many books he goes oh i listen in the car i'm like and i i just i have a thing against that myself i just i don't consider it for myself reading so as you as you're doing a podcast (laughs) you probably shouldn't be against the audio uh oh no it's fine fine. i'm totally for it i just it's like my personal thing i just it's a different it's a different experience i think that i i do listen to quite a lot of audiobooks now as well because it's difficult to find the time um always to to read and and so you know i listen to audiobooks when i'm walking my dog for example and that takes you know a couple of hours every day of your life you're doing stuff that you can't actively walk around reading a book so i will listen to audiobooks but but there are differences in it and one of the things is if you don't like the narrator it's it's problematic i i you know you really struggle to and I'm listening to a book at the moment, and I I, I don't mind the narrator, but you, it it does throw in it throws up idiosyncrasies sometimes of the writing. So it's actually um is it Robert Parker Robert Robert J Parker I think is a is a Western, and um he he writes like after every line of dialogue he says he said or mm. she said he said but all the time and it's when you get someone reading it yeah, yeah. it becomes really annoying. So it's like hello he said hello she said. What are you doing? He said, and and when you're hearing it narrated, it becomes uh, when you're reading it, you just ignore those yeah. he says, she says. But when there's too many of them, it's like <laughs> wow, why have you got one like at the end of every every word almost? Yeah, it does feel strange. But anyway, well, I had one very famous author. I won't say who. Where like I read seven of their books, and I was so glad that I read. This is my rule for myself ever since this happened. So I got through seven of their books, and then I decided the eighth one. I was like, oh, I just. I didn't have it with me. So I was like, oh, I'll just listen to the audio book. And then I'll, I'll, you know, my paperback will be here, you know, in three days. I just couldn't wait. I wish I had waited. So then I, the, the narrator, I hated, like I hated, I hated them. And it took me probably like almost two years to go back and actually read book eight. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just, yeah, it just like ruined it for me. So that's like one of my rules to myself now is like, you know, because I like to do it myself in my head. Like that's partly why I, you know, read books. Um, You know, I can put the actor, who actress, whoever I want there, you know? Um, Yeah. So ever since that, I'm like, oh, like, so I actually only listen to audio books unless they're nonfiction. Um, But if they're like fantasy or sci-fi, I only listen to audio books that I've read. uh, So that doesn't get ruined for me um with a bad narrator or somebody yeah. that i think is totally different because yeah it just it really like hampered my flow with that series i would have i always listen i always listen to a sample first and some books i just oh, think mm, good I idea why didn't i, I think can't listen that? to that you can listen to a sample on on audible or whichever sis normally they offer like a five minute sample and sometimes i think mm, i can't i can't do that yeah yeah yeah. Oh, that's a good idea i might have to start doing that i didn't even think of that it's opened up a whole new world for me there matthew there you go <laughs> And the other thing, the other thing that that this could be useful to you and to maybe other listeners um, is you can you can set the the speed as well. So you can change the speed like 1.2 or something and it doesn't change the pitch. But but if if a reader is reading very slowly and they read very slowly and they take a long time to read like this, you can speed it up and they'll be speaking a lot more, a lot more quickly. But quick enough that you can, you know, you can still follow yeah. what's going on. But it, you get through the book an extra ten percent quicker. Oh, or that's cool. So, but it it, it does really... clever stuff with the software. So it doesn't change the pitch. It doesn't sound like the chipmunks or something. Yeah, yeah. It just uh, you know. So oh, wow, that's good to look to know. 
Yeah, I had one where I was listening to, and I, I just, I love the series so much that I had already read it, and I was like, well, this is all the, this is the only narrator, so, but he did read so slowly. <laughs> I was like, so that's so actually really good to know that that I, when I go back and re-listen to him again, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to do that. I'm sure it'll be a lot more enjoyable this time. Yeah, that's good to know. Uh, for that second one there, so what genres do you currently write in, and how did you decide? So, well, as we've already said, I predominantly write historical fiction. In fact, all of my published uh, novels so far have been historical fiction. Oh, cool. Um, and I've been writing all of them so far have been in the early medieval period. So I've got this um, books that are set in the 7th century. I mentioned sort of starting 633. Um, and that's a, a long ongoing series, still, still continuing. And I've got another series that's set um, a couple of hundred years later in the early... Um, Viking age, right at the beginning of the Viking age, and I've written a standalone as well called Wolf of Wessex, um, which oh, again cool. is set in the early ninth century. So that's kind of encroaching on Bernard Cornwell's Uhtred time frame. Then almost it's a little bit before it's um, set in the time of um, uh, of Alfred the King, um, his great his great grandfather, his grandfather. I think it's his grandfather. No, it's, yes, his grandfather, King Egbert of um, of Wessex, and that Wolf of Wessex is set. In Wessex, as you can imagine, which um, which is nowadays um, Wiltshire and Somerset and Hampshire and Dorset uh, down the south of, of of England, and I live in Wiltshire, so it's sort of basically where I live. Um, and I started writing that soon after um, talking about how you choose what to write. You know, I, I started writing that one soon after we got our dog, and so I'd be walking the dog through the the fields, and I ended up writing this story about this old warrior walking around with his big wolfhound or you know big big hound so it's basically just wishful wishful thinking that i was some sort of you know tough tough warrior guy with an axe and um and that my dog instead of being half miniature poodle and <laughs> half collie is actually some you know massive vicious wolfhound um so yeah so that's so that's how did i choose well i told you how i was inspired by the, this documentary and i was interested in the um the history and of the time and the, and the place of of, of northumberland and um, yeah, that's that's really how how I decided. Just sort of, I don't know when things spark spark your imagination. Um, I've written a couple of other things. I mean, this is a fantasy, and you know, you're into fantasy and sci-fi as well. So this podcast, predominantly, I guess, is is fantasy and sci-fi as well, or just just fantasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I have written a short story, which is as yet unpublished. Um, but it's been it's been bought. I mean, I, I wrote it under commission, but I wrote it like two years ago, and I'm I'm expecting at some point it will be published. But who knows? Um, but that's a sci-fi um, for Warhammer Forty Thousand. Oh, so that cool. was um, for the from Black Library that um, they do the Warhammer books. Um, yeah, they contacted me. It's like right at the beginning of the first lockdown, or just sort of oh, in the, cool. the early early period of sort of twenty twenty or mid twenty twenty or something. I got contacted and. They said, you know, would you consider writing a short story? I'm like, okay, I've never played Warhammer, but whatever. Um, I, I, I kind of regretted it to some extent because um, I didn't realize how much lore oh, there yeah, was with lot. Warhammer 40,000. You can't deviate. I said yes, <laughs> and they told me how much they were going to pay me, and it wasn't very much money. And I thought, well, it doesn't matter. It'll just be a couple of weeks' work. <laughs> it, it, so it took me like two weeks to write the draft, but it took me maybe like another two weeks to sort of find the information and stuff for this encyclopedia that they sent me a PDF of. And then the rewrites, honestly, I spent more time in the rewrites of that than for the historical fiction novels. Yeah. It was like, well, you can't say this and this is wrong and you need to tweak this because those 
soldiers didn't use those guns and I don't know you know it was it was incredibly honestly more attention to detail than there is in the historical fiction I think but um interesting I'm hopeful that it will come out sometime before Christmas in one of their anthologies I don't know if it's going to be in an inferno um anthologies that they bring out so we'll see I'll let you know I'll shout about it when it comes out I'm I've been sworn to secrecy over the title I'm not even allowed to say the title of the short story so all I can say is that there are a few Easter eggs that I put in there for my readers. Anybody that reads it, oh, that's, that's read my nonfiction, cool. they will be able to think, oh, there's a link here to something that happened in 633 in the year 40,000 on another planet. Somehow there's some links in some of the things, but I don't think the Warhammer guys got it, but I slipped in a few, <laughs> a few Easter eggs. But um, that's cool. Yeah, so that's it. And, and at, the, at the moment, I've just written, just finished writing a novella, again, historical fiction, I guess, but um, set in the 19th century. Um, so a big leap. Um, this isn't, I haven't got a contract for it, so I've just written it because I want to. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to publish it or self-publish it or if it's just a, a kind of a research proof of concept for myself, but it's set in 1856 in Texas. So as I've never been to Texas, <laughs> but then again, I've never been to the outer galactic rim of warhammer yeah, 40,000 so i managed to write that so i think there's more there's probably as much information about both so yeah so set in texas uh mid mid um, 19th century i'm a massive western fan i've mentioned a couple of times already so i, I really want to write a western i'm not sure if this novella is going to be the one the thing to publish because uh, it, it touches on maybe too many um issues of the time that might be difficult mm. for a middle-aged white guy um to publish nowadays so we'll see but anyway it's been fun writing and it's been i've been doing loads of research and buying more books i think it's almost going to be like a proof of concept for a novel that maybe oh, doesn't cool. necessarily tackle difficult issues in such a way but has a bit of a different plot but we'll see well, that sounds awesome yeah like i you know like i i just think a lot of people again you know we, we were talking before we started recording i just think a lot of people dismiss historical fiction you know in the fantasy and sci-fi community i think there's a lot of i've met a lot of people recently um s evan townsend he's one where you know he has some really cool um historical fiction mixed with sci-fi uh and some fantasy you know and i think that you know you could do a really good job you know blending them together and um, I think it's hard, you know, like I was just talking to my uh, artist friend of mine, you know, he's like, I'm really trying to figure out how to get this, this right blend of colors. In. Uh, and he really went and actually just studied the color red, just studied like crazy and the kind of different things that people were, you know, were doing with it. And then he was finally able to, you know, get a mixture for the color that he wanted. Uh, and I, I see that a lot too. You know, like I said, like I have a historical urban fantasy I want to write. I want to get the historical fiction crowd on half. And I like to get the you know, the fantasy or urban fantasy crowd on another one. I want to take the ninth Roman Legion. Uh, I want to take a few of them that survived and t- turn them into monster hunters, essentially. Um, and I, I think that's, it just sounds so much fun to me, you know, because I get to take both things of what I love with history and, you know, yeah, and, yeah. Fantasy and, you know, mythology and, you know, all this knowledge that I've attained over, you know, 30 years of studying and put it all into one thing. So yeah, I think, uh, I, but I do feel that, you know, talking to Scott Odin in particular, um, you know, I do feel that, you know, it's like, I also talk to people about, you know, a lot of romance authors too, and, you know, not just in terms of their advertising, but in terms of how they write scenes, you know, and I think that mm-hmm. if you're not studying different, you know, different forms, um, I, I do martial arts, I study a lot of different martial arts styles, and it's not just to, 
know how to attack or defend. It's also knowing how to do certain things. Uh, and I feel that's what, you know, writing should be too. You know, I think in order to write really vivid scenes, you know, you really have to study a lot of different, you know, just different styles, you know, and I think, you know, historical fiction is one for me that I'm like, you know, you look at Bernard and you know, I'm like, I, I love his books, you know, and Ben, Ben's another one, you know, like Ben, I'm trying to get Ben up for a while, um, you know, and I've talked to a lot of people about his, you know, battles and fight scenes and characters, you know, and I feel like, you know, you guys have a, a really big grasp on the human condition. And I feel that people need to reanalyze that and then think about bringing that more to make their characters maybe feel more real. So. I, th I think that's, that's a really interesting point about the, you know, talking about the human condition and, and you can talk about all the mechanics of, a, of battle and warfare, but if you don't have the aftermath of that on the people and on the characters, yep. then it really doesn't ring true. And yep. even though perhaps, because I've, I've had this discussion with different writers, you know, I think you, you mentioned Ben, I don't know if you, Ben Kane, um, and other other historical fiction writers that write you know, battle scenes and things. And we've talked about, it's perhaps true that um, in the early medieval period or in the Roman period or you know, far further into the past, that people didn't feel the same I mean, obviously, people humans were the same, but 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 life was cheap, and so people had yeah. you know the, the Romans all had slaves, and it was you know it was considered normal, and they did horrible things to to people, you know, and and, um, and if somebody did something they didn't like, they you know they were crucified. So it was obviously a very different way of life, and then they would so life was cheap, and it's possible that people in those times didn't feel the same way that we do about death and about you know when they, if they killed someone in battle, they might not have been as cut up about it. Um, or as emotionally impacted, perhaps, you know, I don't know. But by by writing now in the 21st century, if you write in a way that you perceive to be realistic and that people maybe of the time um, and, and are not that impacted, I think modern audiences won't, won't buy it. So you really yeah. need to be writing historical fiction that's authentic feeling for the period, but it's always going to need to be embedded closely in the period you're writing in, which goes yeah. back to the fact I was saying about this novella, that I've, that I've written and touches on certain subjects that I think at the moment it might just not be the right time to publish that 10 years ago I probably would have published without really thinking too much about it. But because of things that have happened over the last few years, um, in, especially with social media and the way things are, you know, are, 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 the way things kick off in social media, yeah. it, it just becomes difficult to... Um, to talk about certain things because you're writing very much in this time and you need yeah. to be, you need to be sensitive of the audience now. So anyway, it's a long winded. No, no, I, 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 I do think that, you know, you know, cause like, I mean, at being a history teacher in these times too, you know, certain people don't like that we mentioned certain things. And I literally told a parent a while back, I said, you don't like it. I said, there's another public school right down the road. The thing is, the thing is, if you ignore, I mean, I, I feel quite strongly about it because I think there are, it, there is a tendency now to sort of imply that by talking about something, you're condoning it. And I think yeah. that, that it's really a massive mistake because yeah. if we don't talk about the past and the horrible things that happened, you know, if I write something horrible, you know, people would say to me, well, you can't write about such and such a subject because you're not of that group of people so you don't have the right to tell that story but i think well the whole of writing about novels is about writing other people's experience yeah um, and if we don't if we don't look and examine the horrific things that happened in the past we're just going to repeat them and we see that all the time people yeah. are already forgetting the atrocities of the holocaust yeah yeah and denying that these things yeah. happened and that's within living lifetime 
there's yep. people still, you know, alive. That, and and, and it's just, how on earth is this possible? And then we see, you know, the rise of fascism beginning to, to happen again and the rise of, of um, anti-Semitism. And, and, and you just think, well, how is it possible? How is it possible to have people in countries that fought against the Nazis, then waving around swastikas and, and oh, man. <laughs> what, what's, what's, it's crazy. I mean, my grandfather, crazy. my grandfather had such a hard time with that, man. Like, you know, being a young man and being in the Navy and, yeah. um, you know, with World War II and then coming home. I mean, he, he just couldn't get over it. You know, he's like, he's like here, we literally fought these people and now they're, they're here in my country. He was like, I didn't fight for this, you know. It's like it was and, and that was implying, one thing you could never get over. I mean and, and and in many cases implying that they're patriots. Yeah. Somehow. You know, it's yeah. like, what, what are you talking about? How's that patriotic? Yep. I mean, it's like what? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's crazy. not get too political, but yeah, I think well, you, you need to look but, into history. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I do think that you make a good point. So, like last night, for instance, right? I'm so I'm writing my I switched to my fantasy, uh, because I'm going back to that draft two and I put my historical urban fantasy aside for a minute. Um, and I'm like, you know, so I'm going, I'm like, well, I'm thinking to myself, is 2000 years enough time for people to forget how dangerous this, these certain things are, or this group of people. And then the news came on, you know, I'm looking on Facebook and I'm like, never mind. I'm like, apparently 40 years is enough. 2000 should definitely be enough time for people to forget that these things are dangerous or that, you know, that this thing happened. And you just mentioned that, right. That, you know, it's just, it's crazy how, you know, I, well, my kids, you know, so we're about to be on World War II and, you know, we took a little segue with the war in Ukraine, you know, to talk about why the dominoes fell, you know, ahead of time. So they'd got a, you know, a base for it, um, you know, and yeah. even they were smart enough to be worried, you know, and, you know, we're like, yeah, you got to be really careful now of, you know, you know, maybe some certain countries, you know, who are also looking to expand and things. Um, you know, much like other countries did in World War II and, you know, took advantage of people. Absolutely. Looking I mean, world, you know, and it's, 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 it's crazy. Really, it is really interesting. I didn't know. I mean, I, I just did some research for this, this Western novella that I, I've written and, um, you know, looking into the, just in that research, just looking at um, the history of Texas. Oh and yeah. Mexico yeah. and Mexico yeah. and, and realizing that basically it's not about 150 years ago, 170 years ago or something, uh, you know, Texas was, was Mexico and, yep. and, uh, you make Texas the Donbass region. The U.S. is—I mean, this is really contentious. So you're going to get people complaining about this, but <laughs> but you know, you know, in the concept, 170 years ago, you know, the United States was basically playing the the role of Russia. Texas yep. was like yep. the Donbass, and Mexico was Ukraine. I mean, it's yep. it's yep. a similar thing, and it's just like we want that that bit of land, and yep. we'll have a war over it, and now it's our land, and they say, yep. well, no, it's not, and you have a fight for a bit, and then eventually, it's it's a new state. Well, it's funny because back in the day, you know, like we just got done with Spanish American War. So we decided to use it as a segue for imperialism for the United mm -hmm. States into World War One. And I, I said to the kids, I said, you know, I thought Teddy Roosevelt was a hero for years, you know, and I was reading a bunch of stuff on him. And then once I actually like read this guy's book and, you know, I felt like he had a more objective view of him and he had, they actually get to San Juan Hill, you know, and uh, I used to have a picture, a photograph, a uh, copy of. Um, you know, Teddy Roosevelt on San Juan Hill with the Rough Riders. Um, turns out, you know, they they literally took the credit from Buffalo Soldiers and then had them wait over there while they took a picture, acting like they took San Juan Hill. And I was like devastated. I was like, what? Really? And, you know, then, you know, like we've really done a lot of deconstructing with mythological, you know, the mythos and things, you know, and, you know, we tried teaching the kids Abraham Lincoln 
the truth, you know, he was a man who, you know, made mistakes and, you know, like why, if he was this great liberator, why didn't he, a lot of people don't know that he, you know, kept Northern slaves enslaved for an extra two years, you know, after the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863, because he didn't feel that, you know, Northern white men would fight for the liberation of, you know, of slaves, um, you know, and I think he was wrong in that, but, you know, it's just, it's crazy how, you know, like Andrew Jackson, I can't stand Andrew Jackson. All my kids always bring him up to me uh, when they want me to go on a tirade. And they usually do at least for 60 seconds uh, with Indian Removal Act. That guy was so racist. He should not be on the $20 bill. Harry Tubman should definitely be on there instead. She actually saved people and, you know, did a lot for this country and was a true patriot in my mind uh, for freedom. And, you know, it's crazy how, you know, we have to do all these deconstructing. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting that once we actually show kids like, Hey, your ancestors were there, you know, women were here, you know, people of color were here doing this or this and that. And I think that's where historical fiction for me is, um, you know, is more prevalent because I was reading about these people with these different experiences the whole time, you know? And, um, so when I read that about Teddy Roosevelt with this guy's very objective, you know, biography, I, I, I guess I wasn't as shocked as I thought I was going to be because I was like, Oh, actually it makes sense because, you know, I read historical fiction where these people had to deal with these th- sorts yeah. of problems. You and, know, he's, and, and he's a product of his time as well as everybody else. And so yeah. what, what to us looks terrible now, you know, he probably didn't even cross his mind as, a, as an issue. But yeah, yeah. No, sadly. it's crazy. Yeah. I can talk about history all day. This is this has become the history channel now. I know. Just, oh, man. Let's talk about history. <laughs> uh, so how many books have you currently written? I saw quite a bit on your Goodreads. So I have written, um, I can actually, I can see the next question coming up as well about the series. I can answer both those at the same time. That's right. I've I've written, um, I've written 12 novels um, at at the moment and 11 have been published so far. And I've got the 12th one is coming out in December. So there's two series and there's one standalone novel that um, I've released. I've written, there's a, a novella, a couple of novellas as well. One's published um, it's kind of a prequel novella to the series. So they've got oh, the series, cool. the Benicia Chronicles. So the ninth book of that is coming out in December. That's called Forest of Foes. Each of those, each of the books, so it's the Serpent Sword, the Cross and the Curse, Blood and Blade. I'm not going to name them all, but you can see they've all got alliterative titles. And Great that's titles, by the way. <laughs> thank you. That's kind of hearkening back to the Anglo-Saxon Old English poetry which often uses alliteration oh, that's cool. and I thought this would be a great great thing you know um, but I didn't realize I was going to write so many books <laughs> and so getting to getting to, to book nine it was like what do I call this thing because each of the titles actually got something about the story as well you know so it's not like they're just random words you know they have to actually make some sort of sense so anyway yeah we, we're at Forest of Foes um, I have no idea what the next book is going to be called after that but I, there are going to be more in the series and the other series I've got, um, I've just written two so far, and that's the one that's set in the early Viking period. So it starts in 793. Um, and the first one of that is um, A Time for Swords. And the sequel, which has only just come out actually a couple of months ago, is A Night of Flames. Oh, and um, I have no idea what the third one is going to be called of that, but that's probably going to be the next book I'm going to write is going to be the third one in that series, and that will be out next year sometime, I guess. Um and yeah, I've got that other standalone novel, Wolf of Wessex, that I mentioned before. That's awesome. I was I just showed my friend some of your titles because I was telling him I was like, oh, I really need help with this title for this book because I had this great project because I don't have a title. And uh, so I showed him some of your titles. He's like, Oh, those are really awesome. He's like, You should ask that guy. <laughs> I was like, 
That's fair. That's fair. So yeah, we should, were, well, yeah. We ask ask me. You can <laughs> send send some ideas my way, and I'll I'll try and put yeah, the magic awesome. magic touch. Yeah. As long as you don't mind them being alliterative, you know they'll, <laughs> they'll have to all have the same letter. In. Well, it's funny because I you know I, my friend had you know he said he made a good point. He's like you know you really got um I'm actually because of the Roman history and because like I do so much all over with history. Um, ancient history is more my forte, but not necessarily just Roman. Um, so I'm actually trying to um, hire um, a Roman military um, historian actually to go back through and, um, you know, to critique and things like that. So I'm going to pay somebody, um, you know, as kind of like a little mini editor there just to make sure that, you know, my historical, yeah. you know, crowd is satisfied, so to speak. Um, but I want to make sure I get things right. You know, I think it's important for, you know, historical context and things like that. Absolutely. But, yeah. But yeah, I think it's interesting that your titles, they, they were all really good. I was looking, that's where I went. I just added them all on Goodreads uh, the other day. <laughs> we were talking. I was like, oh, that looks cool. That looks cool. My wife's like, what are you doing? I was like, don't mind me. I was like, I'm just over here with these 12 books. So, uh, but yeah, awesome, awesome titles. I really look forward to uh, cracking them open this summer. Thank you. Um, so you talked about a little bit about how you went about your research um, for your first couple of novels. Uh, is there anything that you do differently now? Do you just take a look at those books. Uh, I know Google is such a rabbit hole. I've, you know, like sometimes I want to know something about Native American, you know, mythology or something like that. I try to find people, you know, to talk to. Sometimes it's kind of hard. Um, but what, what has been the most helpful thing in terms of research that you have found? Uh, yeah, so so what I do most of the time for the early medieval stuff, there's not actually a huge amount, although I've got all those books on the, the shelves yeah. there, there's not a huge amount of primary source material. Yeah. So it is really what I normally do is I try to find a historical event that I'm writing about in the Benicia Chronicles specifically. It follows real kings and real bishops and people. And so I'll find some historical pivotal battles or moments mm. and those, and I'll research as much as I can about those, but they're usually like one sentence, you know, in the Anglo-Saxon yeah. Chronicle or something, it's just a, there was a battle here and such and such a king yeah. died and that's it. So a lot of it's kind of researching around that and then coming up with a plot um, that my characters can, how they can interplay with the with the kings and things. Um, in terms of what I use, well, obviously the books, as I, as I mentioned, uh, I'll try to do some research up front, and eventually I, I and I do a bit of plotting and planning for maybe a, a few weeks, maybe a month or something, and then I just say, right, I'm going to write now because I get to the point that once I've kind of got a rough structure and a rough sort of idea of, of how it's going to break down into sections or chapters, I just go for it, and that changes as it's as it's progressing. But um, as I'm going. I will highlight, I'll, I'll get to pieces. And it just happened now with the novella. As I said, I was writing this, this Western. I didn't know lots of stuff about the history and especially about the details. So, you know, you, you kind of know the, the general stuff, but then you you suddenly realise you don't know how or, you know, what drink they were drinking at this yeah, time yeah. in history or what, what they used to cut their bread or I don't know, or whatever, what type of no, yeah, meat yeah. they were growing or, you know, all little, really little specific, really specific details. And those things, you don't want to stop and get bogged down into the research. So as I'm writing, I will just put like square brackets and say, you know, the farmers were, and then put like doing something in the field and I'll just leave a, a gap. And then at the end, when I finish writing the novel, because you, it doesn't matter if they're winnowing wheat or if they're yeah. cutting or if they're weeding it or if they're cutting down, you know, a tree, it doesn't really matter for the story. It's just to add sort of color to the, to the background. So, um, so later on, I will, the first pass of my edit is to go through and look for all these square brackets mm -hmm. 
and then do the sort of deep dive research, which, which can be either looking in specific books. I mean, I've got lots of books there about um, the, the natural history of the British Isles and trees and things. Mm. And so I'll be, you know, some of it is like looking just for like what type of trees are growing in certain areas, yeah. because I like to mention those things, because I think in the early medieval people were very, very close to nature and so they really knew what type of trees yes. there were lots of the lots of the old english letters the runes are actually named after trees so you've got ash is oh, the first cool. letter in the alphabet you know it's named after the ash tree and you got so they're they're very they're very much you know embedded in so i'd like to use the names of the trees but i like to make sure i get the right trees and you need to make sure that they are historically accurate because lots of trees have been imported from asia or from america or whatever over over the centuries so but all of that detail I'll do at the end and I'll look at the books first. If I can't find it in books, I'll, I will, you know, go online and, and, and go down the rabbit hole of watching all sorts of things for the sort of geography and, and layout of places. I often end up on YouTube for people walking around certain cities and things um, or even, you know, black powder pistols you know i got i went down that rabbit hole the other day of watching guys on youtube because firearms is totally you know it's very very difficult in the uk it's, it's, it's basically nobody can have firearms you can't i'm sure i could find somewhere that i could go and maybe shoot a, a gun somewhere on some range somewhere but obviously there are people online um where in, in the states is obviously a lot the, the, the regulation is a lot is a lot, is a lot less <laughs> strict and but there's people that have got videos of um you know reenactment weapons replica weapons black powder pistols and stuff and they're showing how to load them and how to you know put the percussion caps on and how to you know all of the stuff and, and i didn't know any of that stuff so yeah. you can really find pretty much anything on youtube um there'll be some expert somewhere that's done some videos um, also, you know, Google Maps and Google Earth is great for sort of seeing the layout of things and yeah. buying uh, buying maps as well. So um, I did. Oh, I, that's I a did, good idea. Um, I, I I've got. An app, I mean, recently. I mean, I mean, as I progress, I'm just trying to find out where the book is. As I progress through the through the editing process of each book, I end up ordering more books. And this is a book I ordered the other day. Oh, you know, that's his, cool. Historical Atlas of the American West, and this is you know, it's got all really interesting things about overland mail overland um oregon california trail the great sheep trails you know it breaks down all the different things texas texas trails and so oh, it breaks cool. down all the different pieces that you might find you know useful and i've got something similar for a, a, a i've got an anglo-saxon one. Oh, on that's awesome over there um atlas of anglo-saxon england is up there as well so you get these historical atlases which are really useful um and modern day maps sometimes so sometimes you can't find an old map so i've got like a tourist map of norway that i was using for like just looking at norwegian fjords <laughs> and and things when i was writing um, a night of flames because they go they end up going to norway so everything and anything at my disposal i'd love to visit all the places in 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 the flesh but it's it's just impossible especially over covid of course it's been yeah, yeah. it's been impossible and and it's it's kind of difficult it's always a bit difficult to try to convince my family that it actually makes sense that i'm just going to go off for a week to norway or something on my own you know yeah, so yeah. that doesn't really tend that doesn't tend to fly for some yeah, reason yeah. so that's fair <laughs> it's for research <laughs> yeah it's research honestly honey i'm, I'm yeah. i'll see you later i'm writing about the bahamas yeah that would be my <laughs> that's awesome yeah i definitely i definitely understand that i've tried that a couple of times i'm just gonna go to ireland this week honey and mm -hmm. my wife said yeah. no for some reason so yeah i don't know why it's yeah, that's a good idea, though. I, I do like the I never thought of looking up historical atlases 
of things like that. So actually, I wrote that down. So that's yeah, I found cool. this this American West one. I sort of just found out of by. by I definitely luck, need really that honest. one. <laughs> yeah, well, if you look one. if you look at um, so I use a site called um, I don't know if, if it's I, I presume it's in the states as well. Um, Abe Books. So A-B-E oh yeah, yeah, books, yeah. yeah. I love and Abe it's all books. it's all se- secondhand. Yeah, you know, second they're awesome. Books. And that's where I get lots of them. So that that that, that atlas was secondhand book. So often they're quite, often you know lots of these academic books are really expensive. Um, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. if you get them secondhand, I got another book the other day again off a books. I mean, this was like four pounds or something. This was oh, originally wow. printed in. <laughs> this was originally written in like 1948. Oh, and then wow. reprinted it. This is like a reprint from 1961 or something. But this this cost me just a few a few bucks. But um, that's such a good idea, though. I, I don't know why I never thought of doing that because there were a couple of different books that I wanted on like military, like Roman military history, but they were just so expensive. So I was like, oh, I'll do the ebook. But then the ebook was only like ten bucks cheaper yeah. than the print book. So I kind of got that's where I kind of got bogged down, and I tried doing more websites. But that's actually a good idea. I don't know why. I, <laughs> just, I, I get oh, books there, all, yeah. there all the time. I don't know why I didn't think of getting those books. So that's actually a really good idea. So about that time. Um, so would you say, how much of your stories would you say is historical and how much is fiction? Do you kind of just go, do you have a particular proportion? I know some historical fiction authors try to do like a proportion, but do you just kind of go with the flow? And kind so of I, don't, I don't have a, I don't have a proportion my my main um well some of the books are more linked to historical events than others mm. but but really it's um for me i have a mantra which is authenticity over accuracy story over history so for it's me like it's that. the story the plot the authenticity that needs to feel real so it needs to feel like it's the real period and it needs to have an interesting story and i think those are the things i care about so if it ends up being 80% fiction and 20% history, as long as it feels authentic and it doesn't really you know, break any historical timelines, then I'm okay with that. The A Night of Flames, for example, follows on from the historical events in, in the first book, which is the attack on Lindisfarne. Um, which, but then after the attack on Lindisfarne, which is a historical event, the Viking attack on Lindisfarne, after that, pretty much everything in the rest of A Time for Swords and then the sequel in Night of Flames, pretty much everything is fiction. Mm. But every now and again, I'll mention a historical character, like they go and visit the king or whatever, but but really the storyline is all fiction. So I'd say probably that's about 90% fiction, but hopefully it feels very authentic. So the places they go to and the weapons they use and the people they meet are real, but the actual storyline, um, which in A Night of Flames is pretty much, well, without going into, into too much detail, the um, A Time for Swords is basically um, a kind of a retelling of Seven Samurai slash oh, Magnificent cool. Seven, but set in the Dark Ages. Um, and awesome. the, and, the, and, the, and the, A Time, a, a Night of Flames, a large part of it is very much a nod to um, Heart of Darkness by Conrad um, oh, okay. and um, John Milius's uh, script for Apocalypse Now. So it's very much... Mm-hmm. It's Apocalypse Now in the Dark Ages, basically, as well. Oh, that's cool. So they're going up a river in search of a mad guy and, you know. Oh, that's so. awesome. And things say, you, have, you have me at Seven Samurai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seven. Uh, yeah, those are awesome. Oh, that's super cool. I definitely look forward to those. Uh, so who are some of your favorite authors that make you want to write? Well, I mentioned Bernard Corwell. So I'd have to, I'd have to say he's one of my favorite authors, um, you know, for, for, been for a long time. Um, David Gemmell, um, obviously great fantasy writer, one of my favorite 
um, novelists, especially when I was younger, I used to read his stuff. I mean, sadly, he's, he's no more. Um, I, I actually loved um, his first book, Legend, and my story, Wolf of Wessex, is very much a nod Oh, to legend cool. it's a, it's this solitary old man i said you know he's got a dog where Druss doesn't but he's basically Druss. he's got an axe in it his axe is um in in wolf of wessex his axe is called the genga which in old english means death walker which, oh, um, cool. so is very much my my nod to david gemmel i think david <laughs> gemmel was a huge inspiration to many 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 not just fantasy writers but historical fiction writers because yesterday i was having a chat with ben kane on my youtube channel and um, and he was saying somebody asked uh, on the live chat, you know, said what, what what's your favourite book that you've written? And he said, I one of my favourite books is um, I can't remember which one, one of the Eagles series that he's written. And he said um, the character in it is basically a nod to Druss from David Gemmell's um, uh, Legend. And and it's funny because I said, well, you know, I've I've written this thing as well. So obviously he's been a huge inspiration for both of us. Yeah. And he's not the first guy that I've heard that from. Um, so other writers, I really like Larry McMurtry, oh, wrote, yeah. um, Lonesome Dove, um, obviously in the Western theme, fantastic. Lonesome Dove is one of my favourite books. Um, and more recently, very more recent, uh, a guy called Toby Clements. Okay. Um, and he wrote four books, or he has written four books um, in a series called The Winter Pilgrims. And it's set in the time of the um, Wars of the Roses. Oh, that's cool. And I've never read anything else really much about the Wars of the Roses, but fantastic, really good, um, really, re really recommend um, him. He's been a big influence on on my writing as well. And I think he hasn't written anything else under his name. I think he might be writing some other mm -hmm. stuff on, under pseudonyms or something. But yeah. under that name, he doesn't seem to be writing anymore. And they were really, really good. So um, very much recommend those. I have to definitely check those out. I'm always, like I said, I'm always looking for something I've been. Do I mean, all if you, sorts of analyzing for different things. So. If you get that first, if you get that first one, um, it, he he writes in a very immediate style. I think he, I think it's in present tense, which is unusual for historical fiction, but it works well. And he writes one chapter. There's there's a man and a woman. At the beginning, they don't they don't know each other, but they meet quite early on in the first book, and then their story combines and they go together to the rest of the, of the stories. But it's one chapter from his perspective, one chapter from her perspective, and it goes like that all the way through, and but you don't go back over the story. It's just always pushing forward oh, um, cool. and it does it, it does it really well. And I use that same structure actually in Wolf of Wessex for the, there's the, the, the guy, the main character Dunstan and the young girl that he's, um, he's sort of traveling with in that. And I did the same. I had the, the, the male and female oh, that's protagonists cool. and 50, 50 for each. Um, and, it, and it works really well. And I really enjoyed that. And it's it kind of, you, you, you know, even if some, I mean, you, you, you basically fall in love with both the characters and it's great seeing the sort of conflict between them. And sometimes, you know, they, 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 they get very close and other times they get angry with each other and you can kind of see the, <laughs> you know, the reasons why, and it, it's really good. Oh, that sounds awesome. I it like doesn't, that. It doesn't, fall in, it doesn't sort of fall into a trap of being a bit, you know, a bit twee or anything. They, you know, they, yeah, they yeah. come there's a love interest between them, but it feels very rooted and grounded and believable. And oh, really that's good. awesome. Yeah, I definitely have to check that out. I love that time period too. So <laughs> uh, for that last one, so do you have any current projects, promotions, news, or updates that you'd like to share with us? 
Well, well, I've mentioned all my books. I mean, the next book is Forest of Foes. The latest book that's out at the moment is A Night of Flames. So if anyone wants to um, pick that up, it's out in audiobook and um, in ebook and hardback. And so, you know, get, get that and, and see what you think. Um, I haven't mentioned that I have been in the process over the last uh, few years of working with a with a small team trying to get a TV series off the ground oh, for the Serpent cool. Sword. So if anyone's <laughs> got cool. if anyone's got any you know contacts and they want to help us out, um, but if you want to watch a proof of concept um, trailer that we put together just before lockdown, actually in 2020, you can go and look on theserpentsword.com. Or on my website, uh, matthewharfey.com, and you can read all about the project there. And um, it was done on a shoestring budget um, to kind of show what we could do, but it actually, you know, looks amazing. The team, really talented young guys, um, and we've got a script for the pilot. We've got a we've got a oh, series awesome. bible written down, written and working with a with a screenwriter, Greg Stewart. It's been great fun, but we're kind of struggling to to, to navigate the the world of Hollywood and work out how on earth. You go from you know one thing to the next. We've met with some important people. We met with some cool people, but I think it's just notoriously complex. And so, if anyone's listening and they're like uh, you know an agent or yeah. someone working in Hollywood, or they know a producer that's interested and wants to make some fantastic TV, go and watch the um on online, and then come back and contact us and, and let us know because we'd be love to, we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, I, I need more. Uh, Last Kingdom is done. I two absolutely three hour movie is not enough for me. The Vikings TV show is done. The other one was you know Valhalla was pretty good, but I need I need so more. Check, I need check, more. Check, check out check out our trailer. See what you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out today. I got some time before heading to my last it's only, game. It's, so. only, it's only a couple of minutes. It's, it really is a trailer. We, we, oh, that's awesome. we created it to be a standalone trailer, but it's got, you know, original music and uh, it, it's very professional. It looks really great. So, Oh, that's awesome. See think. Yeah, I definitely have to check that out. I will definitely be sharing that today with everybody. So I can't wait to take a look. Matthew, I really much. appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I saw, you know, a couple people sharing your books the other day. I was like, oh, that looks really cool. Sounds really cool. So I'm definitely glad that we were able to you know meet and talk so any other time you want to come on chit chat about history if you want to bring ben with you that's fine too uh we'll <laughs> talk about whatever um as long as there's like some sort of swords or you know conflict with humans or you know some sort of good story and writing there you know we'll chit chat and have a good time so thank Brilliant. you so much for coming on today thank you very much for having me and um thanks for everyone everyone for listening too <laughs> yeah so make sure you go to matthew's uh socials again as my audience knows, everything is always in the description. Uh, all of his links will be there. Uh, so, you know, make sure you go and check those out and, you know, buy all of his books. That way, uh, you know, we can get a TV series going for him and I will be happy. So that sounds good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Matthew, you have a great rest of the day and I will see you later, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye.